Welcome back to 2020, I guess. 2020 Reply Guys. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're actually recording this a couple days before 2020. But by the time you hear it, it is the new year. We hope you had a lot of fun last night. Possibly took some psychedelics. Maybe ended up in some kind of uh, MMF three-way situation. In a, you know, it's always good when you end up consensually in a stranger's bed. That's great. Um <laughs> I don't know how, to, how sex works. Yeah, hopefully you're listening <laughs> to this on the way home from... On your walk of shame. Yeah. But it's not shameful. Yeah. So this is Reply Guys, This is Reply way. Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I'm Kate Willett. I'm Julia Clare. Kate, happy holidays. <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> it's, it's over. By the time you're it's over. This, the you're holidays right. are over. Uh, I had a, a Christmas party... Um, well, actually, it was a, a secular slash pagan gathering on Christmas okay. Eve with a bunch of comedians. And that was nice. Almost everyone I know was still here for the holidays because oh, wow. a lot of the people I know are broke and have estranged relationships with their family. So we the, love to see it. We love to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I took uh, I took multiple buses to get home to my parents. It was pretty sick. Uh yeah, once again, you know, tried and failed to radicalize my dad, um, but we're going to get there, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I was reading Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank, mm-hmm. and uh, he really goes into that book about how bad Deval Patrick is, speaking of Massachusetts. Massachusetts men with whom I have an estranged relationship. Um, yeah, no, Deval Patrick is, I, I've talked about him before on the show, um really just give him a cursory google if you haven't again the just like all you need to know about him is that he works for bain capital that is that's mitt romney's company he is did we need a mitt romney no we already have mayor pete yeah we don't need another one but i don't want to be totally unfair to deval patrick Uh, on the plus side he is the first recipient of the deval patrick innovation award (laughs) (laughs) Kate's roommate's dog is like right up in my face and I love it so much and I think I'm just gonna stay here with him for the whole time oh he's so cute he's so cute um oh my gosh Kate should we should we dive right into to the the ultimate Christmas gift that we received oh my god yeah (laughs) all right so we're kind of sorry to do this because we don't like to be repetitive on this podcast um but you know it just so happens that brett stevens says something really (laughs) terrible every week and we have to we have to cover the news once again uh reply guy king uh himself brett stevens so um you know brett just did a a classic little piece of race science in the new york times um he wrote this uh, op-ed called The Secrets of Jewish Genius, um, talking about why he believes there is like an inherent intellectual superiority of Ashkenazi Jews. But the... And this is actually an old anti-Semitic trope. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a well, long... Uh, the, not 
there's a mm. there's an anti-semitic trope that jews are inferior and there's an anti-semitic trope that jews believe themselves to, to be, be superior. superior and have you know conspiracies and stuff from what i understand this is a very long standing anti-semitic yeah theme. yeah you know um so and wait, is brad stevens himself jewish i think so i believe he is yeah um so there already it was published like a day ago and there was already an editor's note placed on it that is one of the funniest things i've ever seen so i'm gonna i'm gonna read it for you all um (laughs) editor's note an earlier version of this brett stevens column quoted statistics from a 2005 paper that advanced a genetic hypothesis for the basis of intelligence among ashkenazi jews after publication mr stevens and his editors learned that one of the paper's authors who died in 2016 promoted racist views mr stevens was not endorsing the study or its author's views but it was a mistake to cite it uncritically the effect was to leave an impression with many readers that mr stevens was arguing that jews are genetically superior that was not his intent okay um it says we have removed reference to the study from this column um i like how it's like oh actually we were really surprised that someone doing race science was racist (laughs) someone promoting eugenics how could we have known that this person was possibly coming from a bad place oh it's like publishing just an entire piece by charles murray and then being like we are shocked and horrified to learn that mr murray (laughs) uh believes that yeah we don't make generalizations about whole groups of people we don't except do for irish people right yeah the only irish people and italians yes. the only two <laughs> categories of people you can dunk on with impunity yeah go go off king yikes that's all i have to say about this whole column um uh, i there has you know the climate right now is so dark in terms of a lot of like the anti-semitic things that are going on and there was just a an attack last night there's been shootings at synagogues and and, you know president trump wanting to designate um jewish people as a kind of othered class it's really disgusting it's really gross really concerning it's like it's a very scary time. So even to, I mean, to have like a Jewish person writing something like this, I don't know. I I feel, I even feel like strange commenting on this as a, as a Gentile myself, but um, yeah, it's, I'm an Italian and my people are known for not being too woke. So I (laughs) try to be conscious of my limitations. (laughs) <laughs> um yes i am uh irish and german just a spotless record on both of both of those um for both of those ethnicities if you can call them that they're very white anyways um yeah uh brett stevens why it's very alarming to to see stuff like this um and Brett Stevens is such a fucking idiot that I can't believe he continues to be employed. Yeah, and there were so many journalists laid off last year, as many people pointed out. Yeah, Kim Kelly um, said, like, there were 7,800 journalists laid off last year. How was not one of them Brett Stevens? <laughs> there was, yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, this is, uh, yeah, this is fucked up. Uh, the idea of uh, race science has 
made its way kind of back into the discourse. I never really laughed, but uh, a lot of there's been a resurgence of it. I will post a piece that I read about that recently in the show notes. But yeah, it's really fucked up. If you ever see something uh, that is, you know, promoting the idea that any race or ethnicity is uh, genetically superior or <laughs> inferior, you want to light it on fire and throw Absolutely. it in the trash. Because that line of thinking leads nowhere good. It's very disgusting. It's, and, you know, I'm, I'm not the first person to point this out, but I think among elites, which is a pretty ethnic racially and ethnically homogenous group um race science is pretty popular you uh, yeah and the elites never fail to disappoint me you know the elites speaking of elites we never got to talk about mayor pete's wine cave <laughs> no we didn't we totally missed mayor pete's wine cave because uh we were off that week for the holidays but luckily there's a new item in the news um, that brings us back the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, Mayor Pete's wine cave. Uh, my roommate's dog is trying to make out with Julia. <laughs> it's really intense. I'm sorry. The dog is so cute and he is really up in my life and I love him. Um, All right. So <laughs> Pete uh, got called out at the last presidential debate by Elizabeth Warren for having a fundraiser in a, a wine cave with $900 bottles of wine, you know, Pete retorted. As one does. Yeah, Pete retorted with like, oh, well, you know, Elizabeth Warren is a millionaire and I'm not a millionaire. I mean, so what What the fuck does that have to do with the corruption in your campaign? Uh, Pete's campaign also sent an email to potential donors if you want to get on Pete's radar now before Iowa and New Hampshire. Basically, like, kind of explicitly offering, uh, you know, the, uh, the opportunity for influence through money, right? Like, mm -hmm. it was just all laid out there. Um, and then because Pete has come under fire, uh, he... And he also accused her of... Or the implication was, like, inciting a class war or, like, accused her of... I think that was Jane Lynch accused her of no class well war. no and, and several several people from yes jane lynch did too class warfare uh and yeah and no but several people from uh mayor pete's campaign also called it class warfare and i do love that uh you know when the super rich are exploiting everyone else in america that's not class warfare but saying that super rich people and rich people should pay taxes is i think that's great also to say that what elizabeth warren is advocating a, a two percent wealth tax is class warfare i mean that's totally fucking ridiculous like, babe i go I, home i wish that elizabeth warren was inciting class warfare or <laughs> i don't know I, I every day i'm like i just i just want to see her incite a bit more class warfare. Class warfare. But what she's proposing is uh, extremely modest, reasonable, and modest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Pete is a scumbag. And so what he did <laughs> is uh, he uh, announced a contest to uh, raise to lower his average donation amount, so he could say it a lot of small donors. Um, and it was a, a contest for who can give the smallest donation. Um, so, oh God, this guy, this fucking guy. So, you know, it's like obviously you could just donate one cent. Um, but why would you? Why waste a penny like that? Yeah, it's just, 
I don't know. It was so stupid. I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me was actually looking at some of the post-debate coverage and the way that this uh, this was framed on cable news was really shouldn't have been shocking to me, but it also was like the, mm-hmm. the kind of take that I kept seeing again and again was uh, basically Pete is uh, trying to he's taking money from billionaires because it's rude to exclude billionaires from the political process. <laughs> Why shouldn't they have some say? And Elizabeth Warren, she's doing this because it's her personal brand. Um, it's her, it's her, her whole thing. She's mm-hmm. campaign, you know, just, just the idea that it has something to do with Elizabeth Warren's branding strategy <laughs> rather than, uh, ending corruption, getting billionaires out of, out of, political influence is not a new idea like it's her athleisure or something (laughs) (laughs) elizabeth warren for outdoor voices um (laughs) yeah um elizabeth warren with a doing things hat um yeah it's really yeah the way that it's being posited as you said as like excluding billionaires and they should be able to have just the same say as everyone else which is also what jane lynch said is such garbage because like who proportional to their populace has had more influence and more say in who became president over the last 40 years plus than billionaires. And and also another point was that there's no way to beat Trump without taking this money. It, It was really fucked up. I was thinking about how much like Fox news brainwashes people. Absolutely. But MSNBC probably equal in terms of brainwashing at this point, not, not as bad. Like the, the things that they're conveying are not like, you know, as, as horrible as like Tucker Carlson, but you know, Fox news is trash, burn it to the ground. But I mean, as we're seeing with the New York times, MSNBC, (laughs) I mean, it's just, uh, this is this is just a very 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 bad time for corporate media yeah. in general uh so much propaganda uh but one thing i will say as we go into this new year is that uh, it has been fun to see even corporate media acknowledge uh that bernie sanders is uh one of the front runners in this race i think this is the number you know, two yeah this could be you know this year it's like um, i'm trying to be optimistic uh we're gonna have a lot of progressive candidates for office on the show over the next few weeks we have uh, some folks running for congress that are coming up that we're really excited about um and you know people have been reaching out to us which is so wild yeah it's i mean you know everything is fucked up it's trashed but you know there's there's a possibility that this year could be a time of really turning things around and the multiracial working class movement that is building in this country is incredibly inspiring. And, um, there's a a lot of things are picking up steam. So please, uh, please make one of your new year's resolutions to, uh, to canvas and make phone calls and donate to, some of these fantastic progressive candidates that are running, not just Bernie, but yeah, um, chances are wherever you live, there's uh, a down ballot leftist candidate running in your area, yeah. in your area rather who, uh, you know, needs your support. And it's, you know, seeing, seeing it happen in my, my own backyard when Julia Salazar got elected, it's just, it's so exciting. In, it's so exciting. And yeah. she's like 
my age and you know and her name is julia her name is julia yeah <laughs> and frankly we stand um <laughs> so so yes this can you know this can be a good year um and, wow just a lovely positive note to end on i love it we have a really uh fun interview this week it's not not that political um we this week discuss the topic of masculinity with our friend from new zealand's guy montgomery oh my and, god it's um, the best yeah. he's so good i love guy so much i'm gonna miss him uh he left new york and uh yeah this was such a fun interview he's really thoughtful and funny wow we're so lucky <laughs> all right um we'll uh we'll see you next week oh no wait one more thing um <laughs> we do have a live show coming up oh yes so we have a live show at union hall on january 25th we will be announcing our guests soon but it's going to be a really good show and we'd love to meet you in person our uh, tickets are on union hall's website and we will be linking them periodically on our twitter and we'll link it in the show notes if you want to come see us we are definitely going to have some really funny cool guests so yeah we'd love to see you we'd love to meet you all right have a happy new year hello and welcome back to reply guys um we are so excited today we have uh, a guest with us as always and this time it is our friend who is the extremely funny comedian from uh new zealand Guy Montgomery. Oh, thank you. I am the extremely funny comedian. Just there's only one. It's very small. Yeah, I've literally yeah. never heard of other comedians from New Zealand. That's it. Well, I've yeah. never heard I've of I've never met another one. That means the the public sort of silencing and smear campaigns I've been running, or private, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. working to great effect. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so uh, terrified. <laughs> In terms of my uh, relative ignorance and excited to be here. We won't. We already told Guy that we're not going to make him talk about um, U.S. politics that much. All right. Let's go, let's just start, though, with Look, like just some uh, some basics. Trump, yeah. do you like him? Well, I, the, the public perception uh, appears to be not so hot on this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm still gathering evidence to make a definitive take, but... Uh, from what I've gleaned, uh, yeah, the, the jury's out, but they're leaning towards no good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, immigrants, are you in favor of them? As one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm all, I'm all for the, the, yeah, yeah, the, this open doors policy. I mean, yeah, I've sort of just cobbled together my political opinions from watching all late night talk show uh, monologues. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's where I got my political opinions as well. Uh, what I've learned from late night monologues is that the primary problems with Trump are he's orange. He's orange. He I has small hands, <laughs> and he's out of shape. I mean, yeah. truly, those are the big three. He's those not are th fit. <laughs> yeah, the office. Yeah, Donald yeah. Trump more like Donald Lump. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, let's shift gears for a second here because the reason that I think we both really wanted to interview you for this podcast is that we saw your solo show and we're really impressed with it. It was just very moving to both of us. And I was wondering if you could give a little background on that for folks that haven't seen the show and we could talk about it of a little bit. Of course, which I imagine is 100% of your listeners. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it is. It, I really just want to 
have a sincere moment, unfortunately, and I apologize for being sincere right now, but I accept. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I also accept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. The irony poison left. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I loved, I loved the show. I loved the concept from the minute I heard about it. And then when I saw it, cause I, um, opened for a very boisterous, uh, version of the show there was a really persistent heckler uh i I totally forgot about that yeah (laughs) but it's an incredible show and if it uh if you're able to see it you absolutely should i watch a lot of comedy and i watch a lot of um you know one person shows and things like that and it's a really unique experience and i loved it talk about it please so that's i'm so flattered truly by both of you uh, saying as much so so the show was called I was part of the problem before we were talking about it and so it was sort of a show um, I guess reconciling all of the privilege I've been afforded and totally or well, slowly you, you know you, 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 your peripherals become what you see in clear focus but for a long while absolutely blind to um, and so it was trying to write a show which reconciles you know all of the ways in which i'd been oblivious and accordingly like someone i'm not proud of or a Mm. version of myself which i look at now and i can barely not barely identify with what i look at now i think i can't believe that that's the same person who progressed it now uh and yeah sort of like reconciling who i am today with all the iterations of myself i've been along the way to to get there and it was like i'd never until the point of doing the show i would never have I guess I was slowly exposing parts of my personality on stage. The show I did the year before this one was called uh, Guy Montgomery Doesn't Check His Phone for an Hour, which is thematically linked to what we were talking about before, which is about like moving to New York and feeling totally isolated and becoming quite depressed and like just spending all of my time gazing at, you know, summer unfolding in New Zealand while I was like somewhat friendless here in New York over the winter when I arrived. I remember that. That's when you and I met. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, so. That was a sort of baby step towards being able to talk about myself on, you know, be remotely vulnerable on stage. But this one was like a, for me, you know, a huge leap again in terms of actually being like, because a lot of the friends I made in comedy in New Zealand, you know, come from, I, uh, for reference to anyone listening, I like went to, I grew up in Christchurch, New Zealand, which is this somewhat, it's like the most British in uh, quotation marks city in New Zealand, which also means it's like the oldest and whitest and most conservative and I went to an all-boys, like, private Anglican school there, which was very buttoned-down, uniformed, and, like, stone buildings. And sort of didn't realize I wanted to get... Oh, I, like, got into comedy uh, in my early 20s, and then a lot of the friends, like, my closest friends now, the people I became friends with, I'd spend that time, like, uh, just totally avoiding any component parts of my background or personal life and talking to them because I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be shattered down, or I guess... I, it's a, it's this it's starting to feel a little bit like I'm woe is me for my good fortune and my upbringing, but just like I uh, wouldn't want to talk about it. And then so to broach it on stage felt like a another leap again, where I was like, oh, f- fuck, yeah, you know, I'm really uh, putting it out there. But ultimately, it was like I, I'm so glad you enjoyed the show. I don't know. Looking back on it now, I'm like, I don't know. I ever got it to the point that I was reaching for, but uh, certainly I felt like a. a as a comedian, it opened me up a lot. And as a person, I think it opened me up a lot as well. When I saw it, some things I really took away from it. Uh, so you in the show, you describe 
your experiences in school and your all boys school and kind of the ways that you're not conscious of your privilege. And then you talk about sort of bringing that into adulthood and a particular interaction with a woman where you realize that you were, I don't know, like pressuring her in some way. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to, I'll let you tell that story because I don't want to tell it for you, but yeah. Well, it's just sort of like, it's, it's, Part of what happens inside of a school like this, I think, is you become totally inocul- like inoculated and you become, you're essentially, the, who you wind up grading yourself against is not representative of, you know, the world at large or broader society. You're, you're measuring yourself against a very specific, isolated bubble and, you know, certain type of person. And so within that, it's very easy to lose sight of broader human decency because your, your judgment stops being against you know, baseline humanity or decency. And you're like, you'll be spending time with people who you're like, wow, I would never do that. But if you're around those people consistently, then your judgment stops being like, I would, you know, like, you're like, I'd never do that. But I do, you know, I'd be, and (laughs) it's for the comfort of anyone listening, I'm not some sort of uh, maniacal, uh, abusive criminal (laughs) or anything. But like, you know, you're, you're around people which just erodes your, um, your sensibilities or just like, you know, what? Well, I think any like single gender private school like that breeds a certain purview that yeah. is really difficult to escape because it's also, it's not just the, the single gender. And I'm, you know, I consider all girls schools to be the same sort of thing. It's just in a different and manifests itself in a yeah. different way, but it's, it's a very specific kind of person who ends up in that, school so and that's your whole worldview yeah, at that yeah. time and so it becomes really difficult to and you know I I went to a public school but I went to a public school in a very wealthy white town so it might as well have been yeah. a yeah. school yeah um like my parents were like my family was considered kind of unusual because both of my parents worked like my mom worked and that was like unusual for the town (laughs) wow but it's but i think i mean you know fraternities are sort of the same way yeah Yeah. the the fraternity is like the terrifying logical next step or progression from you know these sort of like you are breeding essentially a, a, a an underclass of frat boys to go out and then you know join proper fraternities but what winds up happening is i think it's sort of your own uh, standards for yourself or like what you observe around you, it's like, it's just this erosion of quality, you know, like it's not, you're never consciously trying to make a decision to be an asshole, but it's like your faculty to make judgments on whether or not you're being an asshole or being taken, you know, a diminishing day by day, month by month, year by year until by the time you leave and then actually join society, you know, like you leave the city that you grew up in and you go to a, a much more diverse or interesting place and you sort of start, you, you you feel like you're off guard or you catch yourself and you're like, oh, wow, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I, it's then that you start, re, you know, uh, reflecting on where you'd come from and being like, oh, I don't think that this institution, which is like this hallowed school that, you know, mm-hmm. is in Christchurch is this town where it's like if you meet anyone from Christchurch and they find out you're also from Christchurch, the first question they always ask is what school did you go to? And every school comes with its own set of assumptions and stereotypes for the sorts of people that graduate from it. Sure. Uh, 
And so it's not until you leave the, you know, the like that tiny little bubble of, I mean, New Zealand's so small anyway. Christchurch is even smaller, but like that part of, you know, that that part of the world that you like start to have have to measure your judgments. And for me, it wasn't until like I was in a situation after I'd left New Zealand and I'd moved to Toronto and I didn't know anyone. Uh, where I was like in a position to really have my actions reflected back to me, which is what the cattle, like it was sort of the, one of the last parts of the show where I talk about uh, sexually harass, like sexually harassing someone and not even in the moment of doing it, realizing that I'd sexually harassed them until afterwards. And even then feeling bad about it, but instead of confronting that feeling or that um, moment in time, like just deciding to bury it within my own subconscious. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until years later when you read, you know, like when this this whole uh, torrent of public consciousness and like broader thinking about, you know, uh, sexual harassment, you know, in the wake of essentially when hashtag Me Too became as, you know, I know it's been around for, since before it became like part of the zeitgeist, but when all of it was just inescapable and again I was here and isolated and I spent so much time by myself reflecting on everything, like my entire life to the point that I was at, I was like, oh, wow. You know, and you sort of just carry it around. And I was like, well, what can you do? What can you do with it? I, I thought about your show a lot because, you know, I just, man, the thing with, I am very, very glad that Me Too happens. And I'm glad to see men who have done terrible things um, be held to account for it. But I also think that there's a lot of guys like you who have done stuff that is, you know, not criminal, but cross some boundaries and it's pretty rare to see people own it which i feel like is a very important part of healing that we all i mean and not just men i feel like a lot of women have crossed boundaries as well people of all genders have crossed boundaries but it's just i think one of the things with me too is that like in some ways i'm uncomfortable with the way that our society has gotten locked into this mode of like that I don't what do I want to say I feel in some ways uncomfortable with the way that our society has gotten locked into this mode of is this person a horrible person let's find the horrible people let's find all the predators and root them out because I think in reality like there there are those people but there's a lot more people that are living in this world of like yeah I've I've done one or two things that were not okay and it's I it's I think upsetting for us as a society to like reconcile that the problem goes deeper than like a few individuals. Yeah. I, well, the, in, like the internet sort of reduce, I feel like until you really start poking around other corners, it kind of reduces it to binary of like whether mm-hmm. someone's canceled or not, or, yeah, you know, whatever the terminology is being used. I could just, listen to canceled in your accent all day. Can you just <laughs> yeah, do it one yeah. more time? Am I, well, I, I've been, t- <laughs> are we, am I canceled? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But no, but so it's, and it's like, it's just, I think it was because I was listening to the podcast on the way here to really fill my boots with uh, fear of being an ignorant outsider. <laughs> uh, but hearing you talk about like, you know, realizing the internet isn't representative of the world. Like it's, it's just, it's just not. And it reduces everything into these binary things. And it's just, there's no like humanity between and God forbid anyone trying to communicate anything with nuance in between because they'll be shouted down as well. And so it's like what little... Uh, not power, but like what little, you know, what little I could do with it. I was thinking about, I was like, I've never seen, I hadn't seen anyone do a show where they'd, like, I hadn't seen a guy do a show taking ownership of the stuff that they'd done. And I was like, I can do, 
the logic was I can do that show. Like it's a way that I can do it. And the number of guys, the response I had like from all the shows I'd done before, even ones I thought were maybe better or funnier, the response I had from this one was so many, you know, uh, people being like, I'm, you know, you, I've, I don't really know how to articulate it before, like uh, them reconsidering their own past or like, you know, it sort of had the impact, the, the very small desired outcome I could hope for, which is like the guys I went to high school with or like, you know, people who I've been close friends with through periods of my life that have that. Like so many of them have just gone on to work in the finance sector in like Sydney, Australia and become the fully realised fucking asshole version of like mm-hmm. the young prick that they were being programmed to be. Yeah. And then, you know, these are guys who uh, will still come because I'm this weird, you know, I'm their weird friend who went and tried doing comedy or whatever. They'll come to the show. And then afterwards, I'll talk to them and some of them like look kind of like ashen face. Like the entire show was an accusation against them and their humanity, which is, I don't want anyone to leave a show feeling that, but like I'm very happy to see it impacting them in some way, which I'm like, I know that none of them are going to put on yeah, none of them yeah. will think to seek out media or uh, something that will, you know, challenge their perceptions in that way because they could, they live in a world where they can they skate through and they don't have to be challenged and they can just continue. And it's very depressing to think that, you know, it takes someone literally that they've known since they were a boy to say anything about it, to have any modicum. I'm sure that their life is continuing completely unchanged. Well, I think I think what's been so unsatisfying about the and I even hate calling it the Me Too movement because it's become so like the just the phrase has become like so bastardized. And the thing that's been so unsatisfying about it is, to Kate's point, the lack of ownership taken, even even still with all of these things coming to light, we haven't seen a real like almost all like all of the quote unquote public apologies have been these non apologies where, yeah. you know, and I think it's the reason why your show struck me so much was because it was, you know, it was sort of like a gray area situation that you are able to stand up there and say that this happened. And I am like better now for acknowledging that this happened and I'm and like distancing yourself and kind of going through what I thought was also really like revelatory about it for me was like your your process of self-reckoning because the show is not just about like I did it and then I realized I did it and that was bad and I'm not bad anymore it was about like your own process of thinking through your own behavior as a man which yeah. is can you say a little bit more about what that was like for you uh to to like the process of having to think through my own behavior yeah and stuff. what helped you <laughs> i well it's just like but it was this podcast yeah, yeah. This, this, <laughs> i was inspired by our twitter by, my yeah. yeah my aspirations to be a guest on reply guys yeah. <laughs> drove the show no it was just like it was a lot of stuff that i hadn't um it's in, you know the the like your own brain is an incredible thing for like how you can compartmentalize and literally bury entire chunks of life or like it's almost the inverse of people who bury you know trauma and then have they either have it drawn out through you know various different means but it's like I literally could all, like almost it was always in there somewhere but you just try to ignore the fact that that comprises part of 
who I am or what informs you know who I've become. And so I feel like I've been going through a period of uh, thinking about that stuff already before there was a public catalyst for me to really dive in and self-reflect, which is just like the friends I'd made and like, you know, the way that my person, like my life had moved on from, uh, you know, no one is themselves in high school. Like I think one of the big things in high school is, or in my experience was like, it felt, everything felt so temporary. There was no consideration for the fact that everyone who I was interacting with, who was also a pupil of either the school I went to or like one of the schools where I had friends would go on to become an adult. Like it felt like everything is only of consequence for this day or this weekend or this year. Like there's no long, there was no long view. I mean, and also you're a teenager, so you just think that you're going to live forever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You'll never, never you'll never get any, old. Yeah. You'll and never there's no face consequence any consequences. To action. Exactly. And so I, the period of like, you know, it was really, um, becoming, you know, like starting to do comedy and becoming friends with an entirely, uh, a community who are entirely independent, like largely independent from people who I'd grown up with and like sort of just this very natural uh, mental growth process of like, re- you know, just talking to people and realizing how uh, different our backgrounds and like our lives growing up were. And, and I'm always weary of talking about this, you know, like I always am afraid that I sound like a, an absolute ass talking about this stuff, but uh sort of there was a period of self-reflection and growth that was going on anyway. And then having like, literally when I first moved to New York, I'd just broken up with my long-term partner and I felt inc- like, and I hadn't really stuck the landing on the, like I I didn't behave poorly, but like I was not very, I wasn't as articulate in the breakup as I might've liked to be or like it, it didn't end on as good a terms as I would have hoped. And so there was a lot of time for me to like be full of uh, self-loathing and be like, oh, you're an ass, like you suck and maybe that's the only person who will ever love you and all the sort of normal shit you go through with heartbreak. And then being here and not knowing a lot of people and then also having all like, and then having this entire, not that anything's thrust on you, but then seeing like all of this, uh, I was, I arrived pretty much as that Harvey Weinstein scandal broke, which is not a catalyst for self-reflection because obviously he's operating on a scale of monstrosity, which is, largely beyond any ordinary person mm-hmm. but um just in the entire wake and the trickle down when i saw like so many people on my social like so many people like uh, who i thought i'd been close friends with or like family members start sharing their own like experiences and stuff and it was just i just wound up in this hole of like intense self-reflection like am i you know the monster i thought i i i, I hope this is answering the question i feel like i'm getting lost in the response but like uh, through all of that I, there's a lot of process and that was very, the challenge was like finding a way to distill it into something that's funny and like sort of wades through all of this sort of slightly heady and bore, like, you know, all the shit I'm talking about now into being like communicating in a way which is uh, clear and also funny when you're dealing with like the worst part of yourself or like the, you know, parts of your life that ordinarily you'd want to hide from everyone because everyone wants to put forward their best, facing persona and like everyone wants a clean slate everyone yeah. wants you know the idea that any wrongs they've done or ills they've caused don't contribute to who they are which is just it's just not true and i was like I'm, i was always quite obsessive like when i remember when i first got itunes on a computer 
if I download individual songs from LimeWire, I'd always have like that. I'd find the year the album was released and I'd download the album cover and I'd make sure everything. In it, I did the same thing. And I'd make sure everything was perfect. And I think that is like tied to a personality. I did the thing. exact same thing. I think that's tied to a personality thing where I was like, I remember when my music library became too big for me to be able to maintain this level of fastidiousness. And I was like, oh, it's a mess. It's all falling out all over the place. And it's like the idea that I wanted it to be that manicured you know, which is in direct contrast to being able to build the music library that you want to listen to and enjoy. I feel like it's it somewhat works in terms of life where it's like I want people to only know the best parts about myself. I don't want anyone to know the worst parts. But like for someone to know you, you have to, you know, you don't have to lead with like, hey, unless you are a registered sex offender, in which case it's literally the first thing you have to say <laughs> when you move into a neighborhood. But largely, you know, you, you like it, it's about making peace with those uglier parts of your personality or the parts of your life that you're less proud of because it like it really there is value to be extracted from it because if you're willing to reflect on them and learn from them it like can, it builds towards you being a better you know version of yourself now and so the stuff that I think that you're asking about like having to reflect on my behavior as a man was born of like trying to find some sort of reconciliation just within myself to do to do that and then, and having done it to a point where I was comfortable talking about it, like with my my girlfriend, and her being like, "You have to do this on a, you know, as a, sh you know, like me bringing the idea and her being like, "You have to do it." Then trying to find a way to communicate that same process and feeling into a show. Yeah, I I, I really liked it. It was a show that I'm definitely glad that a lot of other men watched. I could see how maybe people listening to this, like who haven't seen the show, would like. I don't know. I'm just imagining that someone could listen to this and be like, what sexual harassment? Is it funny? We shouldn't make that. We shouldn't make sexual harassment funny. It's not a joke, but like, honestly, I think, you know, my experience of watching it was that it was just a really, really thoughtful piece about self reckoning that I think opens up a lot of conversation that, that really needs to happen. Like I don't, the conversation that we see about, um sexual harassment and like you know just other boundary violations on the internet like it feels so not how stuff is in real life which like, it feels feels pretty unhelpful yeah and i think it is really important for other men to see a man like you talking about this thing because the you know, the only representation of people talking about stuff like this cannot be someone getting canceled. Yeah. Like, it cannot be at the, the end of a gun. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's like, it is really important for people, for men in particular to see someone working through like gray areas like this, because that is how the conversation becomes more nuanced. And that, yeah. But it's sort of it does sort of time with what we we're talking about at the start of the podcast, which is like, to me, those, you know, I'm so much more comfortable taking part in those conversations with people, you know, like in person yeah. or like outside of, of course, a place where it's just literally stripped down to its component parts and like it, yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm so flat. I, I. I'm always so terrified to come across as uh, like patting myself on the back or self, you know, and I totally agree that it's not something to be made light of, but it's like, it's, it's born of the, the desire to try and find a way to, you know. And the butt of the joke 
is always you. In yeah. The show. yeah, yeah, of course. So that's yeah. so yeah, yeah. we should say that. Yeah. that it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, guys' show is not sexual harassment. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's a very good point. Yeah, I think like one of the things that disturbs me always about conversation online about sexual harassment or even sexual assault is that it's so easy for. I think people to like look at some of these examples and go, well, I'm not Harvey Weinstein. I would never do anything that bad. And then just excuse the rest of their behavior yeah. because it's not at the level of this monstrosity, but of this monstrosity. But like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to take a guess and say that most people have had a sexual interaction of some kind that was not totally on the I, up and up in I every would, way. I would totally i would totally agree and i would say that spans like the the, the power dynamics difference but that spans you know gender and like absolutely every, yeah. you know it's also the challenge i think that has been in, and why the conversation has been largely quite unsatisfying in parts is because it's like we're literally reprogramming inherited cultural and societal norms of like this you know like getting too drunk to be in control is a normal way to enter you know, some sort of uh, sexual situation in your like late teens or early twenties. Like that was literally if you watch TV or movies and, you know, you watch the way the older people that you know in your family or even like, you know, your friends, siblings or whatever, that seems to be in some way, like or seem to be in some way, like the norm. And so you're literally watching people strip their agency and enter these situations. Uh, yeah. and then it's like well, it's like everyone's grandparents have that story where it's like, well, your grandmother, um, I, basically I married her because I wouldn't leave her alone and I stalked her. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and that was, and, and then was, I impregnated her in yeah. the backseat of a car. And, <laughs> and then, the and then her dad goes, made me marry her. Yeah. 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 And everyone goes, oh, it's, so, it's so sweet. It's yeah. like, you know, that's yeah. Grammy and grandpa. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's sort of like it's a it's a very messy and like it's not a tidy process. Well, it's like I mean my like I'm not going to blow up my parents' spot here, but it's like my mom always was like um always told me um never leave your drink unattended, make sure like you know, don't go out at night under these conditions, like all this stuff. And I have a brother who is 11 months older than me and he never got any of those like my dad certainly never sat him down and was like hey don't rape yeah <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. it's it, the whole conversation's always been geared towards forcing responsibility on like girls and young yeah. women and it's like oh yeah no i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but there was a some there was something else that you said there that i think really makes a, a good point because it's like it's not only that young women that young men are not that we don't sit them down and say don't rape it's that like the way that we have as a society constructed sexual assault in our head is that there are people who would do that and that they are monsters yes. and i think that there's yeah there certainly are there certainly are but there are like way more people huge, who yeah, just yeah. get fucked up in their fraternity and like don't even think about the thing that they're doing as sexual assault absolutely and then also to think about like i was a very uh, i was not sexually active in high school not because i didn't want to be but just because it was not 
you know my my path. <laughs> <laughs> you're just a loser. Yeah, yeah. I'm just exactly. joking. Hey, wow. But um, so yeah. old, old virgins are welcome on this podcast <laughs> that accent, as one. Yeah, that accent is not special in New Zealand. No, no, just no, it's us. Yeah. <laughs> and but so like the way that you know guys would talk about sexuality, like it's all it's literally all conquest driven. There is no room for vulnerability. There is no room for like opening up about fears, and it's like. I'm lucky enough to be very fucking, I'm just a straight down the line, like, you know, cisgender, straight, you know, like I am very ordinary. I have friends from that school who have since come out and it's like, I've spoken to them in passing, but I've never dived into like, you know, how much, how mortifying the entire experience of sexuality at the school was. But it's like, there's no room to ask, like, you just, you just feel like you can't, for fear of becoming the, you know, the one who's ostracized or bullied at, you know, recess or whatever, to use the American term. In, <laughs> uh, in New Zealand, we would say morning tea. <laughs> um, but like there's, yeah, there's no, well, it's there's like, a, the needle yeah. of conversations never being moved towards figuring it out. It's like you literally are left to your own devices and it's not often until you've processed your adolescence or like in my instance, because I didn't become sexually active until after high school, Later, later, still like a humiliatingly older age when you start processing all this stuff and you start like, and oh, there are some people who are incredibly emotionally intelligent, you know, like I, I, I wish I, it's impossible to change who, who or how you were in high school or university, but like, I wish I had followed instinct or like been bold enough to be an outlier or like a loser for one year just to right. be like, at least I'm doing what I want to do. But that's, I mean... But that is truly the opposite of what everyone is trying to do in high school. Like, and especially at an, a single gender private school like that uniform where you literally are wearing uniforms, you are, what is prized is falling in line. And I think, and I think that that's, and that's across, you know, whether you go to a, uh, a co-ed school also but especially in an environment like that and and I've I went to university with a lot of people who went to private single gender private schools um, for high school and the boys in particular it's like women were this endangered species when they were like and that is why I think it is like a conquest driven thing yeah. even though that's very typical of like or was typical of, of adolescence anyways. And then for the, like the same thing, the girls I knew who went to all girls schools just didn't know how to act around other girls when men were present. And it was so weird. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that, uh, on reflection, like, that's one of the things I was like, I would never, I would, if I ever had children, I would never send them to the school. I, and I was like, I was lucky. I still managed to have, you know, aside from all of the toxic stuff that happens, I had a great, you know, I was lucky enough I had some really close friends and we had a lot of laughs in high school, independent from being... Being toxic. Actually, yeah. yeah, being like absolutely insufferable It's important to take breaks from being toxic. Yeah, well, you I know... Try. We, uh, I won't. I, yeah, we, I won't do it. We had a pretty full, you know, schedule, but we'd, we'd, we'd find pockets. But um, I feel like I'm sort of reduced to a not... I, I don't know that I've been making a lot of sense in this conversation, but I... You have. You I, have, yeah. Okay. I, I just like... I I mean, I think so, but I, I don't no, we totally also, understand we also the edit, accent. We edit no, a lot, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, little, I say little hangout. Uh, but I can't remember what the initial point was. I've derailed myself, but it was just... You, yeah, it's it's not to say that like teenage said, boys yeah. don't have the ability to it, it, 
experience or like have independent thought and think their way through like the logic of whether or not they're comfortable in a situation or doing something. But it's like it's also that down likely or the you know that combined with the things which mean that you're not forced to think about this stuff. Like it's so much easier to take the path of least resistance. It's mm-hmm. so much easier to remain ignorant. And then eventually you are making a decision to be willfully ignorant about situations. I think. Uh, and that's why there are men leaving your show who look ashen because, yeah. because mm. the path, I think because the path of least resistance is not examining those things within yourself. And that's why yeah. I think but, your show is so cool. Uh, yeah, the, the question isn't, am I a monster? Like, the question is... We've established in, in that what you way, In what ways <laughs> yeah. have I hurt someone, you know? I, yeah. Like, it's just... I mean, I think that's why a lot of parents aren't talking to their sons about sexual assault because probably they see their sweet son who's a good person and they feel like it's almost as ridiculous as saying, like... Uh, Hey, don't murder someone. It's like, yeah. okay, of course, yeah. of course you're not going to murder someone, but you know, like I think with any type of sexual boundary crossing, it's just people are learning a lot about consent right now in real time and we are at a, a turning point in our culture where a lot of people haven't understood and still don't understand like the right things to do and i don't know i think it's really important to have open conversations about it uh beyond the conversations that are just who should we cancel yeah i i i, I agree as someone who like yeah, I didn't have any. There's no, there's no talk from my parents about sex or anything. The health program at school was like, you know, it was the guidance counselor who was taking sexual education. You know, like there's no, there was no mm-hmm. uh, scale for how impactful and significant this is on like every like everyone's lives going forward. And so there's no impetus to take it seriously. And so the only version of the conversation you wind up having is like one with your laddish mates, yeah. you know, and the most surefire way to social ascendancy at an all boys private school in Christchurch, New Zealand is to talk about the fact that you fingered someone over the weekend or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> and then even if that's not what you desire for yourself, some yeah. small reptilian part of you is like, oh, God damn, I wish I had fingered someone over the weekend so that <laughs> I would feel cool for the duration of morning tea. We are at 47 now. Do you have any final questions? No, I don't think so. But wow. Oh, man. Yeah, I, my, my sexual education was like very comprehensive. It was like Massachusetts public school sex ed. It was just Elizabeth Warren teaching yeah, just, sex ed. Just yelling at us about, <laughs> about, Teen pregnancy yeah. and sexually transmitted infections. Middle um, class families yeah. <laughs> need to know how to have sex. That is so funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, no. You know what was really upsetting is that the gym teacher who taught my sex ed was like too into it. And <laughs> Ew. She was like, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Uh, sex feels really good. Ew. <laughs> I had. To, I was like, well, that makes me never want to have sex. So I guess mission accomplished. Yes. My my sex ed was uh, from a nun. 
my first Whoa. time I say it was yeah I went to I went to Lutheran school and elementary school and then I went to uh, one and a half years of Catholic junior high and the first time I had sex ed was from a nun her name was Sister Noreen and I gotta be honest I did not take it seriously because I was like I know you've never done <laughs> <Virgin>. this yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I yeah all I remember is at one point my parents very tactfully left like a where do I come from book on the corner of a table or something <laughs> when I was about 11 and then at health class uh, at high school a guy called William put up his hand and asked the teacher whether or not dinosaurs could be gay <laughs> and uh like oh my God, classic question literally the only pull away i like the only memory i can extract from that time in my like that classroom is is uh that question because this guy what's was, the answer yeah did, was i don't serious? remember the answer like, this <laughs> well, is like you this can't year. leave our listeners hanging like this <laughs> well they've got google <laughs> <laughs> all right well speaking of google um where can our listeners find you i'm also on google uh He's on google. i am on twitter and instagram at guy underscore mont awesome thank got, you so got much a great twitter thank you oh, so, yeah. yeah thanks a lot for for uh, thanks for having me i uh, i really appreciate it i'm so, i've i no, i had a you know what i had a good time i'm gonna save uh my self-conscious apologies for after the recording <laughs> thank you <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.